Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, it's a flashback to the very beginning as Korra discovers the tale of Juan and Rava and the origins of the Avatar. Big happenings require four hosts, Matt, Dave, Devendra, and Joanna. Hi, I'm Matt Patches, and we're back again with Republic City Dispatch, talking beginnings, part one and part two. Um, this double feature actually played at New York Comic Con before, so there was lots of buzz leading up to this major event um, for the eight people who went to New York Comic Con. No, um, I, I heard there it was were a many tremendous. There. It was way crowded. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, wait, Devinder, did you go to New York Comic Con? I had to go. I was doing a panel Sunday morning, so I went on the quietest day, but it was still a madhouse. Yeah, I heard. I heard that Saturday when all of the uh, Legend of Korra to do was happening, mm-hmm. it was it was insanity, and that they threw an amazing panel per usual reveal. <laughs> Uh, like how the they how they make this stuff, but it was like the traditional Comic Con thing, right? Where half the people in line didn't even get in. So that's, that's yeah, you need Comic-Con. that though. You need to make yeah. it a treasured moment by ha- turning people away. It has to be coveted. Exactly. Um, anyway, I, I didn't even introduce people here. Well, we have Devendra Hardwar, of course. Hello. And Dave Gonzalez is just dizzy from last night's episode, but he's surviving. Dave. Hey, I am I am here, and uh, I'm on the side of eat Rava. You definitely, definitely are. You just consume so much Rava. And yes. um, we're very, very happy to have Joanna Robinson back with us. Joanna, thank you so much for Thanks squeezing for in. Guys. Apparently, you are yeah. recapping six shows at this point, juggling so much television in your life. It's it's ridiculous, but I'm so delighted to be talking Cora this morning. Yay! Um, Yay. Well, we, before we get too far into things, Dave, why don't you attempt to summarize this in a brief way? Uh, what right. we what we experienced last night. As brief as possible, the Fire Sages lower a barely conscious Cora into a glowing pool of flashback, where her past lives introduce her to Juan, the first Avatar. Juan is the Aladdin of his day, stealing food from the Chews, the ruling family of the Fire Human Lion Turtle settlement. And after tricking his lion turtle into stealing fire and leading an attack on the Chews, Juan is banished to the Spirit Wilds, where he earns the trust of the spirits by saving Mula, a sort of cat deer, from a human net trap. Uh, the spirits teach Juan how to master firebending with the dancing dragon, and then later while traveling with Mula, Juan happens across two spirits that are battling and destroying a valley, and he's tricked by the dark spirit of chaos Vatu into separating these two spirits, and uh, the Vatu runs away, and the light spirit Rava tells Juan that he has let chaos into the world by freeing the dark spirit, and in one year the two spirits have to battle at harmonic convergence for the fate of the next 10,000 years. So in order to restore balance... <laughs> I'm sorry, harmonic convergence is awesome. I mean, yes. it, is, it is the world engine of, of Korra. But harmonic continue, sorry. Uh, so in order to restore balance, Juan must learn the three other bending forms for the other human lion turtle cities and combine with Rava to fight Vatu through the gate of the southern spirit uh, or the southern, uh, the southern pole spirit world portal. Uh, Five times Juan- Yes, Juan has this huge battle, then has to sacrifice himself and merge with Rava permanently to form the Avatar state, and defeats Vatu, locks him in the spirit world, seals the north and south portals, and then um, we learn that Korra in present day has uh, regained her memory and her connection to Rava, and she rushes off to close the spirit portal because it turns out she's like a week away from harmonic convergence again. (laughs) Holy Colin Heck, that's a lot of plot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love to get much amnesia, Cora. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand how that happens. Um, well, before we get too deep into this episode, I did want to remind people that um, however you're listening to the show, be it on Tumblr, be it on Coronation, be it on iTunes, um, we would love for you to head to the iTunes store and subscribe and leave a rating and a review of Republic City Dispatch um, because it just helps the podcast get out there, more people talking, and uh, hopefully it gets people coming back to RepublicCityDispatch.com where we're having an amazing discussion on, on a weekly basis. I'm kind of surprised with comments and just the, the conversation continues after the podcast, which I'm really yeah. happy about. And so, these yeah. past few weeks, it's been a really nice uh, place to go and check and see when Core is on and how long it's going to be because they <laughs> it's keep all over the place. Times. Yes, and so... Uh, 
it's it's a nice it's a nice resource for everybody. iTunes, subscribe, leave us some nice messages and a rating, and uh, get Republic City Dispatch out there. And remember, share it with friends. That's you can actually just tell people to listen to the podcast too. I've I found out. Um, so guys, why don't we just jump right in here? Uh, Beginnings one and two for me was a tremendous effort, um, perhaps because it was just so different than everything else we've been seeing. Um, but two, because I am scared to death of prequels. When I hear prequels, I think of midi-chlorians and Phantom Menace, and I just start worrying that all these questions that we think we need answered, uh, we don't really need. And it just and it undermines the quality work we've seen before it. But here we have a story that's self-contained, compelling, um, a character we immediately learn, perhaps because he's a little like Aladdin, and we're all familiar with that. Um, but I, I just thought this was impressively uh, constructed and f- fed into the Korra plotline that we've been enjoying this whole season. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't Rava essentially Metachlorians? I mean... Well, Rava is not Metachlorians <laughs> because... Not I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but Rava is not the end-all, be-all of bending. Bending right. still comes from a place we don't really understand that's just a spiritual touch, you know? Um, so it didn't feel like an over-explanation. Rava is just no, a part of the fabric. People, yeah, how the bending power is coming to be for these giant city turtle, uh, turtles. It's the, it's the creation myth here, but <laughs> I still don't know how it, I still don't know how it all works, necessarily. Right. Which is fine. And by the way, the, uh, the whole thing with uh, cities being on the backs of turtles, I kind of love. I love when this show just dives into, like, um, you know, Eastern mythology in subtle ways. I'm sure kids reading this would have no understanding of it, but it goes back to, like, uh, Hindu mythology of, like, the entire world being on the back of a turtle. So, just found that fascinating. It that tickled amazing, your, dude. your fancy. The, it's, it was really nice for me to see uh, sort of the beginnings of this world, and it's sort of I don't know. It allows it allowed me to connect to the original series too, because going that far back and giving that much history to the entire world, I was like having fun seeing lion turtles doing the little claw bending touches on everybody and being like, "Oh, that makes spirit bending at the end of the first series makes so much more sense." And it's part of this, you know, continuing journey of the Avatar that has similar echoes throughout time. And I was just loving all of it. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure how I felt about some of the comedy moments. I kind of felt like if it was, if it was going to go mythical and big, it should have just gone mythical and big. Well, you don't like maybe. Bushy Bushy the Bush Spirit? I mean, like, it, although I appreciate E.E., as I'm told he's called by the I, internet. I.I. I, 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 see, I'm screwing it up already, internet. <laughs> um, it, it, it seemed weird when the it would suddenly go from mythical to sort of like jokey, uh, bits to me, especially lemur hijinks. You didn't like the lemur hijinks. The lemur hijinks seemed a little weird, even though they made sense. And then it, just like the nature of some of the spirits um, sort of looked kind of like childish and jokey. And then I guess when they turned bad, I had those fears assuaged. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it seems I really enjoyed like the style of it sort of looked storybook and like these grander themes allowed things to happen kind of quicker than I would allow mm-hmm. in like a normal story like you know Korra's taking forever to have two double crosses and then Juan comes along and has separated the spirit of light and dark like halfway through oops so yeah it it, it I, I was very impressed and it was very good to see Studio Mir come back and uh, add some style I definitely feel like uh, they w- during Comic Con, I think they said it was fifteen thousand drawings. Um, each episode of Korra typically has, wow. uh, uh, and if assuming that stays the same regardless of which studio is doing it, and they haven't cut it down for budgets, I think Mir just chooses better keyframes and character poses, and seems to be getting away with a lot of the atmospheric effects that I've been sort of tinging the other studio for. Yeah. But they they may have also had a lot more time to work on these episodes. Yeah. True. Because yeah, cause I'm, other, I'm wondering the if they're not if they had to switch because this was going to be such a time intensive. I think so. endeavor. Yeah, that would be a good question to ask uh, the creators at some point because that's the sense I got, right? We were dinging the uh, the animation for most of this season of Korra, but I feel like this is like the really rich, fluid, um, almost lifelike animation um, that we've been kind of missing. And it kind of makes sense because this this is basically a mini-movie. 
So they I know I saw you tweet. I saw you tweet to that effect after watching that. This, this was the core it movie is. that you've been pining for. It is, and uh, this is also why I'm not excited for a live action core thing because this, like this, these two episodes show the potential of animation. Right? You can do anything. The <laughs> there are no limits basically, except. Um, yeah, I don't know the the amount of pain you want to put your animators under, but yeah. I kind of love that we see the full imagination or the full potential of animation unleashed in these two episodes. I felt like I was missing some of that um, earlier in the season of Korra because it was felt very plot heavy and very just like things were happening without much of a reason. This one felt a little more organic, and even though it's telling a big story very quickly, I felt more invested in it, and it just looked beautiful, too. You could tell these people love uh, Princess Mononoke, like, so many callbacks. The uh, Was it the cat deer? The little, yeah. like, the childlike Lula. spirits? Very yeah, yeah. Mononoke-ish. The cat deer, I just... They, they just pretty much stole. Um, I'm fine <laughs> with it, because it, it works well. Uh, uh, speaking, speaking to what you just said about the animation and just being able... To- the the pure imagination that you can capture in the medium. I think that so much animation that we see today, especially on the movie side of things, strives for realism. You know, even when Pixar's telling a story about a funny little robot or Brave, that, that's a movie about humans. Um, sure. But it's all about, like, how photorealistic can we get this amazing story? Um, you know, how how can we realize it to feel real? And here's a, here's a show... Uh, specifically this episode that just doesn't care about that it's about how artistic it can be how impressionistic it can be you know swirling clouds and that look like eastern art block painting and it's just such an interesting tactic that works really well i was amazed that you could almost keep the characters looking the same articulating in the same way um for that amount of detail and yet still have the backgrounds that really just eye popping it's amazing yeah and the backgrounds don't even really move that much. There are they're mostly like static watercolor paintings, uh, but they they're fantastic. And I guess it kind of let them have more focus on the actual animation of the figures and the characters. Yeah. So that was nice. Um, I will say, like you know, bringing up uh, you know Wally and Brave, I've always felt like after we started seeing these um, you know CG animated films. I like the idea of them and I, you know, there are some of them that I really love, but I think my heart will always belong to 2D animation because of stuff like this. Like, because, you know, you don't even, you can't even try to approach reality. You know, you have to invest yourself in trying to make another world real. And I, I don't know, with some CG stuff, like I've always felt like uh, they, they're always trying to recreate reality and maybe not using the medium to just tell a story artistically yeah. or something. I mean, especially in this series and with like, because the interesting thing is they added another like huge final battle of the Avatar. Mm-hmm. So like not only did we get to see Aang build for years and years do the Fire Lord, but now we see one travel the world and train to fight Vatu and eventually Korra is going to have to do her own harmonic convergence fight. And so we're going to have to see all these fights that are supposed to be the pinnacle of bending, but by switching up styles and by setting them in completely uh, different locales, they allow like what the world's greatest bending looks like is allowed to look vaguely different with similar Mm. themes. So like um, Vatu doesn't really take up physical space because he doesn't have to because he's a 2D animated character so sometimes he's really big and sometimes he's really small and then he lets loose with the Inception Womp uh, beam <laughs> out of his face Inception Womp beam <laughs> and then we've Laser also beam. that's yeah, canon all, yeah. all the bending looks different in this one flashback uh, it sort of has, has that traditional Japanese art style like the air swirls and sort of blocks and the fire is mm-hmm. more has more lines in it so it's making all these, you know, gigantic, this is the best bending you're ever going to see look different but similar. So it allows it to still be awe-inspiring, which is yeah. something like if you put it in M. Night Shyamalan 3D world, like it's really about framing the shots around the same CG rock, yep. whichever way you cut it. Mm-hmm. That's, can that's I, really can compelling. Can I ask a, a clarification? Yeah. Yes. Not to sort of detract from the art conversation, which is amazing. But my question is, how did the spirits get into the world, the dark spirits get into the world if Korra only just opened the southern portal and the northern portal isn't open, right? So mm-hmm. how has these dark spirits that are sort of rampaging in the north, where did they come from? 
if they were all banished from the material world by mm. one. Yeah. I think that is the question. I think we'll we will come to learn like maybe there's a I don't know an opening somewhere else or something or a crack in the a world. Crack. A yeah. Crack they come out of Unalak's butt. <laughs> Uh, and do we think then that unalak is like possessed by vatu or or i think that's the running theory that he's he either has i mean he must have some sort of connection i feel like as soon as you put vatu into the the fabric of this season that he has some connection to unalak whether he is already kind of tapped into him mentally or unalak wants to free him in uh, a Ghostbusters 2 kind of way well, to serve him has, as a god. Has. Okay. I mean, Korra was attacked by that dark spirit that, you know, severed her connection with Rava, and then the next time we see Unalak, he's stepping out of the spirit portal, and we don't know what, yeah. he, what he did in there, so it's possible that Vatu was already... You don't this. think Vatu is in the painting to use more Ghostbusters 2 illusions <laughs> that he has to be freed? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. It's, so that means Unalak is like Peter McNichol? Yes. <laughs> I can't. What's the name of that ghost? I cannot. That's on the tip of my tongue. Vigo. 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 Carpathian, um, as a matter of fact. That's, yeah, what I'm, that's what I'm thinking now. That, um, But then again, Vatu may merge with, uh, with Unalak at some point, whether... Unalak knows that's going to happen or not. He could, you know, inhabit Unalak and become a physical presence to start destroying we Korra. We have like a dark avatar. Dark avatar. Um, but like, because Unalak can bend the spirits, which we've seen him do, um, yeah, I feel like he must have just a little bit of doing him. Yeah, he's using um, performance enhancing spirit yeah. drugs of some sort he's he's doping with a little he's, bit of oxy oh so. my gosh <laughs> wait joanna i want to pull back here a little bit and get some of your thoughts yeah. on this episode because i saw you while watching commenting you, you were seeing aladdin you were seeing all sorts of mythological references i think I, I thought you were eating it up because of how dense it was but i'm, I'm not quite sure i ate it up you I ate did. this up ate it up i did um, and I'm more versed in Western mythology than I am in Eastern, so I know that there's a bunch of Eastern mythology things that I missed, but I appreciated – and I know that they're the same myths essentially world over. But um, I really appreciated like the Prometheus myth of of Juan sort of bringing fire to the people and even though that backfired on him, that sort of empowering people by giving them fire and letting them go off on their own or the Pandora myth of unleashing dark spirits in the world and, and that sort of stuff. So just – like like you guys said, it tapped into this really rich mythological origin story. This is how the world that we've come to love was built. And um, yeah, I, I really loved it. I thought it was beautiful. I, I wanted to say, you know, this whole season people have kind of been writing, and we have too, a little bit, um, writing Korra for making bad decisions. Um, and some of that is just, uh, as we discussed last week, writing that might be kind of spinning in circles for no reason. It should get to the point. But <clears throat> I think Cora has been having trouble making the right decisions because she is confused and she's under a lot of pressure and she's a teenager and we're all imperfect. No one, just because she's a hero, that doesn't make her um, infallible, you know? Mm-hmm. She she struggles and she should because she's a great character um, and not Luke Skywalker. I I really he like... <laughs> Luke Skywalker has no problems. Let's be honest. What? <laughs> He has no let's, issues. Uh, let's take it easy on Star Wars here, Patches. Screw you, Luke. Um, he's not okay. She's not Hercules, or she's not. Uh, she's not a mythic figure like we're talking about here. And I really appreciated that Juan was not either. You know, I think you could set up a prequel story about this hero, this tall tale hero, um, uh, and and just tell that story about how Juan like traversed the world and saved everyone and became the first avatar in the wake of all this bad. Um, but then in, instead of doing that, they make Juan the reason we have problems in the world because he's imperfect. And, and, yeah, but he still wants to solve part them. Of mythology too patches. Like I will I'll point out like, uh, yeah, Joanna, you were bringing up like Pandora and, uh, you know, uh, Western mythology. That's, that's kind of the big thing too. Um, I feel like this whole thing felt like a dream sequence because it is animated so differently. It is. It feels very different. Feels like it's trying to tell a big mythological story, and yeah, for for a lot of mytho- mythological characters, they make mistakes. Yeah, they, make they make mistakes, make huge but mistakes that affect the fate of the entire world. They make mistakes, um, but rarely do they get to solve their own mistakes. I feel like. Uh, 
And may- maybe I'm wrong there, but I'm glad to see Juan, you know, he he, try- he tries to be a trickster and steal the fire and he gets caught. But then he also gets to to take that fire and, ma- and make the world better with it. You know, he doesn't just, he's not just punished for doing so, like Prometheus, like you're saying. Um, he gets to come back and solve those problems. He's human. Uh, and this, and this myth, this backstory could easily be a divine intervention story. Some spirits bestow a human with powers and they go off and be a hero. But no, this is about a human kind of rising up, facing his own issues and solving them. And that's why it was so compelling to me because it's really part of Korra's story, what it means to be Avatar, what it means to be a human carrying the burden of being the Avatar. Yeah, and I like I like how you put that where it's not it's not a pantheon of gods or spirits who have chosen their hero. It's a a human who steps up and and has to almost wheedle the these powers out of the spirit world in order yeah. to right his wrongs. And you're right, then it puts it it makes it a much more human story. Um And even the spirits from. the spirits are are imperfect. You know, you think of I think they describe Rava and Vatu as the all-powerful spirits, and yet they are deranged. They have so many emotional problems. They they don't have the world figured out. I mean, Rava cannot understand why she would ever team up with a human uh, and, right. and, and solve the problems. And why would we need a bridge between the spirit world and the human world when one is so superior and should just be kind of like reigning over the others? No, you need that in-between. You need someone to kind of bring peace to this whole dynamic. That's the whole light and dark thing, like yin and yang balance, basically. I I will say, though, like I got a sense that they were setting up Juan to be different. He's not a normal human. He's not an everyday dude. They said there was something different about him. He says, I think, a few times that, you know, I'm not your average human. And it felt like they was sort of imbuing him with demigod-like status. So something like Hercules, like somebody who does kind of sit between the world of the gods and the humans. Um, it felt like he was the equivalent of that. It was really interesting to me because this is now, I don't know, we've seen three avatars train. It, it, I think we've seen the in the Fire Lord and the Avatar, we got to see Roku travel around and train. We got to see Wan train. We obviously got to see Aang train. And it's really sort of hitting home for me how Korra was locked in one part of the world and told she was like the Avatar and so she better learn all these fighting styles and absolutely has no idea what it means to be the Avatar <laughs> until the end of this episode. I feel like it's it's all of her problems have seemed very small and personal and like Korra happens into a situation that she feels the avatar should insert itself into. I now hope that, you know, through seeing how important it is for a avatar to travel and get into these larger problems, uh, that now she's going to spend some time not, you know, pining after Mako, maybe. She doesn't spend that much time doing that. No, but maybe, you know, we haven't seen a lot of a married avatar either, but that that apparently is important. <laughs> I'm so interested in the idea that Juan might be a demigod Devinger, because that seems to t- take away a little bit of what's special about this story. And I, I didn't really see it too much. I mean, I think the Aladdin comparison that a lot of people are making is very mm-hmm. astute. I mean, he's a riffraff. Street rat. I don't Let's like sing that. Song. Let's sing a um, song. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't really see... He has to be a normal person who just finds his way into this spirit world and steers himself towards good. He's always He always wants good in I this world, I mean, and I, I think that's what's special to. about him. He doesn't have to be a normal person. Like the, A lot of mythology is about people who think they're human, think they're normal, and uh, one day they realize, oh, by the way, you are the son of a god, just so you know, or you're the daughter of a god, and then their <laughs> lives change, and they can reshape the way humanity works or something so i mean i I don't think we have to put those rules down if we're thinking as it as this story is something like a grand mythological tale which it is like this is a story of a guy you know getting powers from you know all powerful turtles and fighting with the very (laughs) spirits of good and evil like this is not real world. This is this whole thing exists in a completely different universe. (laughs) Yeah, Um, but I mean, if he's not, if he's not a demigod and he is just a person, he's a person with a with a different worldview. I mean, that's what makes him. Yes, he's an idealist. He's he's a yeah, he's a scrapper who's like unwilling to be put down, and 
you know, even before he's an idealist, he's just mm-hmm. like, I do not accept that I have to steal dirty loaves of bread and yeah, yeah. to give my half tree friend, you know, like I, there's something more, you know, and that's what Aladdin and Ariel yeah. and all of our other Disney heroes thought. Um, <laughs> you, so- <laughs> you can call it whatever you want, basically. Right. But it is about the idea of somebody saying no and like saying a different, the world should be different. Yeah. 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 Well, but I think he said no, and then he discovered that he was different. I don't think yeah, yeah. Juan was the sort, like, like a demigod, was where he was suddenly told he was different. Like, the question for me would be if some other person with the power of firebending managed to separate Rava and Vatu, then it would be that person's, like, decision. And if they weren't who Juan was, they probably would have been like, oh, screw it. I have how many weeks before, you know, the world ends? Harmonic conversion. Harmonic convergence. <laughs> Harmonic conversion. Convergence. Uh, I convergence. what that time, what time jump is going to be. Like, is Korra going to wake up and, by the way, it's been like six months and the world is hell? No. This is like a few days. They turn her around I pretty mean, quickly. Throw her in the spirit I pool. I don't know. They, they, Mako, even they Mako said Mako they didn't know. are married. And yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's like an alias, alias scenario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is is the spirit is the pool that they put her in on this Fire Nation island? She washed up on the same pool that Juan soaks in, in the forest in in his uh-huh. adventure. I was curious about. I didn't know if that. Oh, it's a very minor no detail. Oh. Uh, I just thought that was very yeah, interesting. Signifying because she's like, he's in the she's in the Fire Nation, and so is he, right? Because he's coming I, from where all the fire people are. I mean, I would be surprised if the world geography is the same. I think we're looking at like you think Pangea uh, yeah, split up. Yeah. A, what? Yes. Yes. Why do they have? Why do they have a little hammock to lower people into that pool? Like, what is that contraption? Why because of this exact problem. What if the Avatar <laughs> washes up an and avatar. she needs a soak? <laughs> well, she they also run a spa. They run a spa, as you can tell from her fire <laughs> healing and all sorts of stuff. It's very nice. It's very pricey. Um, yeah, she got her hair done while she was there too. I want to talk a little specifically about a few beats here that I just really enjoyed and maybe hitting more on Dave's point where some of the humor may not have worked or at least took away from some of the intensely dramatic moments in this episode. I feel like episode two or part two um, was pretty heavy uh, in terms of what we saw. And then, of course, the beginning um, was very light when he's interacting with all these spirits. And to what Devendra was saying, I think that's a very Miyazaki, Mononoke um, way of conducting business, um, that you can introduce a very innocent world so that it can become refracted and terrifying when things start getting serious. But um, Maybe, for- maybe. I I mean, I, I honestly didn't think the humor was that out of place. I neither did I. I'm, was, I'm totally with yeah. you. It's kind of with me. And um, honestly, you look at the beginning of Princess Mononoke. The very first scene is a crazy pig demon. Right. That is uh, scary. Tearing up the city. So and it's scary. It's like that. I think that to me set the tone of that film and how it would be a little a little more brutal. Um, but I, I don't know. I was fine with the humor here. Like it, it felt like it balanced what we love from the Avatar and Korra worlds and just kind of brought it back. Well, that's why I think the the episodes do an amazing job balancing tone. You have something like the tree man, um, Juan's friend, who clearly, I mean, when we see him, it's kind of weird because we have no idea why he's part tree. And they don't really bring it up until he's, I mean, he kind of screams about spirits, but still, we're not really sure what he's talking about. They keep just talking about the chews, which I must say sounds a lot like the Jews. And it was, I was really kind of confused <laughs> and scared. And I'm like, where is this going? The Jews. Come on, Juan. Um, acceptance. But um, Tree Man, I just thought it was a really compelling way to be like, to, to say that these cute, cuddly spirits that we see, I, I, can mm-hmm. inhabit your body and transform you and ruin your life. I and mean, the spirits don't think anything lemur. of it. And yeah. yeah, and he's like, well, I could have killed them. And it's like, whoa, you could have? You crazies. You something needs <laughs> to be done here. And you sympathize with the humans. Be better. Maybe yeah. your life can be better if you're half lemur. There are some advantages. Better climbing abilities. Um Yeah. I wouldn't want to be half carrot though. There was a carrot demon. Old in carrot life. man. Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of uh, amazing spirits in this um 
in this episode, I, which I think were mostly references. I don't know. I didn't know. I don't know about Old Carrot Man, but that frog spirit looked like Rankin and Bass Gollum from their version of The Hobbit back in the oh. 70s. And I'm def, I'm sure that white dragon that we see is a Spirited Away reference uh, to Vindra. But um, yeah, I just I, I thought that really all worked quite well and um, was was frightening because of the spirit's power. It was an interesting way of kind of twisting, well, maybe the humans aren't wrong to want to lay them to waste. Right. It's not, it's not that the spirits are innocent and persecuted. It's on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think the, the bigger – there's still, like, plenty of mysteries left open here in this world. But I'm wondering, like, how, you know, the spirits were out in the first place. It, it felt kind of confusing to me. Right. How at the end that we're pushing all the spirits back into the spirit world, and by the way, they're totally cool with it. It's they're a little like, hey, oppressive. Go into this hole, and <laughs> they were kind of trudging. Yeah, like totally fine with it. Um, and I wonder, like, what happened before to like get them out there? And it seemed like the spirits were out there in the world for a while because all of humanity lived on these turtles, and they built cities on these turtles. So it's like it seems like for millennia. <laughs> The spirits were out there. You got a little kicking them back in. You got the a little trail of tears action yeah, going yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Didn't the spirits push the humans onto the lion turtles? Didn't somebody I, mention that? No. And yeah. one of them said, uh, "Was it Vatu who said, um, you know, he saw when they the humans crawled out of the muck or something? Yeah. So like, yes. saw humans evolve. So like, yeah, I just I think it's kind of funny how quickly the spirits and they were fun." Yeah, the Trail of Tears. They were fine being shut back into the spirit world. So, Devinder, are you saying you want a pre-prequel? I want a pre-prequel. I want to know what what happened. How did this all... What's going on? Where did I.I. come from? (laughs) Another three movies, please. Well, I'm more like, you know, in the beginning, there was good and evil, I guess. I I would love, I would love for this series to kind of go that route. Like, just give us, give us everything. Give us, like, way back. How did this all happen? Well, it it was curious that uh, Vatu and Rava were just kind of wrestling in a in a valley for some reason. I have no, I don't know why that was. Was there an explanation I missed there? No big deal. Yeah, they they just were. They just were, and 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 we split them up. Um, I and for some reason, does anyone watch Samurai Jack? Oh yeah, Uh, Vatu reminds me very much of Aku. Of course, and I don't know if that's some sort of reference to Chinese. Or East Asian uh, lore of some sort, but they both maybe it's just big, frightening, amorphous I guess characters. Giant demons. I wish, man, like I wish uh, Mako, the original Mako, the voice of Aku from Samurai Jack and Splinter from Teenage Mutant yes. Turtles, and yeah, he was he was also in Avatar. I wish like we he was still around to yes. kind of do something like to do the big evil voice for Vatu. Where's <laughs> Where's Grey Delise? Is she in this episode? Yes, I think she. Dark spirit. No, I think she is Rafa. I I may have to double check that, but I think people got their wires crossed. I think she is Rafa, the nice one, sorta. But we may have to double check that because she's certainly not Vatu. Well, the wiki, the wiki says Rafa is April Stewart. Oh boy. Mm. So So there's 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 spirits left to find, perhaps. So there's something. Yeah, there's something left to see. Um. My my question, or, or I was sort of thinking of this in terms of classic television. Mm-hmm. This is a yeah, it's a flashback. It's an origin stories, but it also felt like a backdoor. Oh my god, I absolutely one hundred percent thought the same sure. thing. Yeah, I, that we could have our Adventures of Juan, but then it ended with like Juan's death, and we you could still way, have the Adventures of Juan, and I would still love an Adventures of Juan. Show. By the way, yeah, you could have them as like direct to video uh, releases or films or something. Let's let's take the anime route. Let's pull out that story and make it yeah. a completely separate thread or something. That would exactly. be amazing. That's what our RPG should be, guys. Oh yeah, wand the wand tales. Yeah, the wanderer. Oh, oh man, don't kick me off. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let, let let's push further into episode two. Are there specific things about this episode that really worked for? You? For you guys in just terms of like keeping this story moving forward or compelling. I mean, I loved having the origin story of Juan, but I do think that this conclusion ends up working, even though a lot of it is training montages. Um, but it's like <laughs> the perfect, the best case scenario of training montages. Yeah. And then one huge battle with Inception <laughs> Womp Beam fighting. You're really coining this term, I see. 
Well, I mean, but I, that's what I kept thinking about because it was so interesting to see something that was part of the choreography of the fight, but then also mm-hmm. timed so specifically with the score and the emotional beats of it. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I think I praised it enough to, and I don't need to call it a dance, but that was something that was dance-like about it. But I think it has so much more weight and maybe what I've been missing a little of in this season compared to book one is battles that really matter. Battles that feel like there's stakes and there's, you know, life is on the line. Seeing Juan fail at stopping a human and spirit battle kind of in his home turf, that really struck me, especially because Vatu flies in afterward and goes, hey, just to let you know, they're all dead. Ah! Um, maybe not. Maybe that wasn't the exact line or voice, but um, just to like, I wish it had been. I wish rub it in and tell him, tell Juan that he slaughtered the rest, the remaining people um, in this battle that Juan couldn't stop. Avatar uh, state in its infancy was not strong enough to keep these two warring sides at bay. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought that was so terrifying, especially after seeing like all the peaceful, wonderful things across the world. Um, going to visit the 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 air nomads who are using a form of airbending to pick apples. Like, that's just so nice. Or, like, going to <laughs> Arizona or wherever the uh, lion turtle who has earthbending appears to be living um, in the <laughs> desert. Or maybe maybe Breaking Bad. This is where you come in, Joanna. They're mm-hmm. in the middle of the desert. I think it was cooking. Sedona. They oh. went to Sedona. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just thought that was all, like... It was great to be out in the world and to see how all of these things were born and then to come back and have just such a despicable, disgusting act of violence um, was startling. And it, and it really added to that last battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was... Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, well, the thing I wanted to see... No, no, no. My my point is different. So go ahead, Devin. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, I mean, I love that last scene. I love the little bit there just because it's it's all about futility in a way like this is kind of it's what i've loved about the avatar series and Korra. like it it can embrace failure it can embrace characters not getting what they want all the time and this thing like what sets off the whole uh, the whole lineage of avatars is the idea that you can't humanity is so screwed in a way like there are there are problems just uh endemic to us that you need somebody to always exist somebody that needs to reincarnate over and over to kind of keep things in check. I found that kind of interesting and I am, I'm kind of surprised that we're even seeing this in like a kid's show on Nickelodeon. Yeah. It was really interesting to sort of see like, um, that this universe for the two spirits up until the point that, uh, Rava emerges with a human has just been this cycle of, you know, one loses and then the other one slowly grows within the one that 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 wins. Mm-hmm. And finally, uh, this other more fragile form of life is thrown into it and manages to make itself important um, in a way that sort of delineates this uh, 10,000 years as being important for both humans and spirits. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's great to sort of, you know, pull back the veil on this great big beating heart of the avatar universe which is we've been seeing 10,000 years where the spirits have been given humans a chance gotcha and that, gotcha and that was like that was my favorite part of the of the mythology was this idea that the dark spirit grows out of the good spirit mm-hmm. I, I really loved that bit um and i don't know if that has its origins in eastern mythology but i just love that where it's not it's not even good versus evil it's like they're part of each other at, at all times so. and that that is kind of the core that's the core of most eastern eastern uh teachings and mythology that you know it's the idea of yin and yang um hindu mythology tells us something very similar as well like a balance between worlds like it is and i've brought up buddhism quite a bit in talking about this series um really that's really that's that underpins everything in the avatar world like buddhism the whole point of that was um the middle way if you read about buddhist teachings like that is essentially what siddhartha taught and the idea that you know there is suffering in the world there is joy in the world there is greed in the world and you know the way you survive it is by going through the middle kind of trying to balance everything and that is that's essentially what the avatar is (laughs) 
the avatar is like a bit giant Buddhist superhero, basically. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty awesome. Um, and they even fight in a yin yang at the yeah. end. I'm pretty sure yeah. the spirit where the spirit portals are basically the circles within the yin yang. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, the little, yeah. Um, I mean, my favorite part of that scene in the, in the yin yang battleground was, you know, Wan's fighting and he's bending and he's doing a great job and he's got he's achieved um avatar state because of of melding and that sort of stuff but i was like well what is the emotional journey that juan has to go through here like it can't just be that he's the best fighter on the battlefield like Mm -hmm. what is the emotional journey and i guess it's that he you know he might have died and he said that's okay i'm just gonna keep fighting anyway like Mm -hmm. that ultimate selflessness i guess you know achieving nirvana in that way or or what have you because that's i mean that's what avatar state always looks like achieving nirvana to me um Mm -hmm. Which and. which really plays into his the opening of this episode. Um, you know, he he strives for material goods to keep himself alive. Right. He's always about well, no, keeping himself really alive. Keep him, it wasn't about keeping himself alive, by the way. It was about keeping others alive. He didn't eat at the beginning. Yeah, he fed the animals yeah. instead. But don't you think he's always it. worried about survival? I need to keep the fire so that when I go into the spirit woods... I'm going to survive or like this well, is what I, I mean, need to he... do to survive and suddenly it's like well no I can I can help others survive by actually dying. dying. I mean it it is potentially survival like he knows that he needed the whole point of that right they he wants to steal the fire so that they would have a weapons to fight against uh, yeah they would have something to fight against the weapons that the rich people have who ruled that city town on the uh, on the turtle's back like that's what it all came down to and what we see in this world is that people have no conception of what the world is outside of those cities too which is another thing it reminds me of something um lots of stories i've read too um like uh was it murakami's Haruki murakami's uh, hard-boiled wonderland at the end of the world or something um or many stories where people exist in these walls you know there's a community within these walls we don't know how things work outside of that um so i thought it was interesting but yeah yeah okay yeah he needs it for survival he needs the fire but also that he was even, I don't know, was brave enough to even try to survive out there. That told us something. Well, I mean, yeah, you're right, Devendra, that it's like a post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. trope. Pre-apocalyptic, little... I don't know. <laughs> well, like, but but that's what yeah, I'm saying, yeah. like, about your pre-prequel that you want to see. Yeah. It's like, what what got us to this state where people are just huddled on, on lion turtlebacks and mm-hmm. don't understand that there are other lion turtles out there in the world, mm-hmm. so... Well, we're kind of and are there only four? Because it seems like there should only it be said four. There were quite a few, but yeah. yeah, the spirits said there are a ton. So, mm-hmm. what were the other lion turtles? Are they just like five air just lion chilling. turtles? The more or... boring elements, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> they, they dish out. You can move. I don't know. Soap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Soap bending. No, so nobody bending. wants it. <laughs> That's um, a good point because we have the four parts of bending but we obviously Aang got spirit bending from the lion turtle mm-hmm. so maybe maybe there are more lion turtles with different bending powers well they're all dead now I was about to say I think they were laid to waste <laughs> at least that's what Avatar Sorry, Last Airbender yes. told us but I'm not they're sure how that would now. happen did, wait did the lion turtles go back to the spirit world also because like where does everyone live if their city goes to another dimension I don't Good know question. That doesn't I think matter. They, they live in the wild. Yeah, the and, wild. Because dragons stayed around too, because we know those were hunted into extinction by the firebenders. So there's, I don't know where we draw the line between what's a spirit and what's. I don't a, think we a, want a, to mess with that. Yeah. Um, just a, a weird observation, um, and maybe there was an explanation here that I kind of overlooked. But at some point, um, Juan is insisting to uh, Rava that he, she should fly into him and they should merge and become one and he can be the avatar in the avatar state. Um, but he's like fading out of existence at some point or like there's this weird sound effect that felt very unnatural um, mm. on, on purpose, I assume. I mean, it felt like static and he was kind oh, of his shifting. Lines were, yeah, his lines were blurring. Yeah, and it was really strange yeah. because it's, you know, everything in the avatar world in Korra is so organic and then you have this sound effect that really feels manufactured and uh, electrical, technological. And it was so so startling. And it was a good choice. Um, I believe that's Ben Wynn, the other half of the track team, who does the sound design for the show. Um, 
really rattling our brains here with that sound effect. And I, I don't know what was happening necessarily in that moment or why that is a great choice, but it certainly left me unsettled. I don't know what happened. Why well, you was he mean, shifting? Why was he... Yeah, why was he like... I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's hard for... I thought, well, I thought that was the struggle of like... That was like Rava digesting? killing him. Oh, or, you know. I see. Like, or she was trying to get out and he was trying to hold her Merge. in or something like that. She's like bad Indian food and he's like really got to pass it through. And How you... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> humor today, Pastor. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of digestive where, I know. Where am I coming from today? Um, well, to I really ra- liked, oh, go. from an aesthetic point of view, just really quickly, I really liked Juan's... Um, like his beard on his chin, like it didn't—you couldn't see it, but like his chin had little like you like soul patches and valleys. Yeah, exactly. I am I'm this close to making Juan like my Twitter profile picture or something, you know, or he's, something. He's very to that. handsome. He's a cool Although guy. Juan, right? I do want cat deer as well. So, yeah. see how this. Goes. I, I I hope he displaces many of the. Um, anthropomorphic animals that people seem to have crush on in the Disney universe. I feel like a lot of gals that I knew growing up loved the fox from Robin Hood. That's Uh, because the fox in Robin Hood is really dreamy. See? (laughs) I knew this was a thing. My wife loves the Puss in Boots cat from the Shrek movies, too. Oh, my gosh. But maybe it's because it's Antonio Banderas. Well, Juan can bring people over to the human side. It's a cat Antonio Banderas. You know, what do you... What more do you want? You can't deny that. You can't deny his sexiness. And he's a sword fighter. I don't know. Um, We may have touched a little on this earlier, but I I just want to wrap up by talking, you know, since the story bounces back to Korra, um, who has had a religious experience here. She's met all the past avatars, done like the the meet and greet line, meeting all Aang, Roku, Kaioshi. We even got Kurok here, which who knew we would go so far down the spirit meet and greet line that we would get Kurok. Um, but then she walks away, uh, aware of the harmonic convergence, um, greeted by a herd of air bison, sky bison, awesome, which is amazing, and then flies I like that away. Air bison has like a broken, uh, little broken Aww. horn. Oh, does it? Yeah, like half of its horn <laughs> is gone. And they explain the old lady explains they've been doing it since the Hundred Year War. So yeah. that's the that's where Appa's all Appa's. Uh, Babies, descendants are. Oh, um, but w- what is she Tenzin, flying away? They found oh. air bison where Tenzin is, right? I thought so. Maybe he picked yeah. one up from them. They're like the dealership, <laughs> Sky Bison dealership. Um, so what? I mean, when she flies away, like what? What can we expect? We're about to take a bye week. People are going to go crazy. Um, but what? What should we be dwelling on here? What, what does Cora? Has Cora solved any of her problems that seem to be plaguing her in this? In this? the season and i mean has she really connected with juan in a way how, how do you think that the juan story really affects cora's thinking and the, and the mean, cora arc yeah we've seen cora struggle with her spiritual side uh, throughout the entire series her last season and this one and i think in this one it was really prevalent where she would just like go into avatar mode to like you know do just do quick things during battles like she so, sort of didn't have the race. respect yeah, to win a race. She didn't really have respect for it. So maybe now she will. Um, I do think it's kind of interesting how the most interesting character in Korra Season 2 is not Korra. It's Juan, sadly. <laughs> sadly. Oh, no. But but they are one and the same, aren't they? I mean, They are. They are. Juan you know, it's the same? Just, I feel ha, like, uh, everyone today. I do feel like we, were, we, we got a lot of Korra being... Um, I don't know, kind of irrational, making a lot of bad decisions. And I think it, it's interesting, too, that Juan's whole story starts with him making perhaps the worst decision in the history of humanity, um, separating the good and evil spirit. Yeah, trust the dark spirit. That, that's never a good idea. <laughs> perhaps not a good idea. But uh, at the same time, like, we saw him try to atone for it. We see prob- you know, We see him dealing with the weight of everything that he did and also trying to help humanity. And I know Cora has been doing that and maybe we'll see her some of, some of that rub off. That's what, I, what I'm hoping. If you see two spirits fighting in the forest and one has like a beautiful, ethereal, lovely voice and the other sounds like Darth Vader, are you really going <laughs> to trust Darth Vader? This is true. <laughs> he hasn't, he's not well read enough. He doesn't, Juan has not been reading myths. 
He doesn't know. Yeah, there's that. I, I don't want to promote like spirit, spiritualism, spiritual racism. <laughs> racism. Like, I didn't say the dark black one. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't see guys, color. Like, let's it doesn't mean it's evil when it, except when it is. So yeah, except this time it is. Yeah. Um. Uh, oh. Well, no, I feel like okay. I like that Cora is conflicted, more human even than Juan is, than Aang was. You know, I like that she is struggling with this real life stuff. And I understand that it's uh, it's a different story. It feels like a different story that they're telling the more metropolitan, like, this is what the everyday girl. And we talked about this when I was on last time about how much I equate it with Buffy. And I really like that, that it's, sure. this is a teenage girl struggling with her teenage girl feelings about her dad and about her boyfriend okay. and stuff but, like that. You know, with Buffy, I totally agree. But with Buffy, it was more spread out because those seasons were like over 20 episodes long. We That's saw her true. dealing with issues over a long period of time. Whereas this season, of course, it's like, okay, we got to shove all of this in here. All of yeah. this in here at the same time. And by the way, we're almost at the end of the season now, right? Isn't it? I, I, how many episodes there do we have? too many episodes left. I think yeah. five or so six. So it's like, that's that's just my feeling. Like, I felt like a lot of that was shoved in here to give us that sense of Cora as a teenage girl. And which is fine. Totally fine. We actually don't see that much on TV, especially for a female heroine. Definitely something interesting. Um, but, you know, that combined with the stupidity of all, a lot of the other characters... And just like the, I don't know, bad detective work and really forced <laughs> plotting, like that all really annoyed me this season. But then it all lets to the these two episodes, and I, I guess it was worth it. I just I think Cora boils down to being such a relatable person and all her problems. Um, I, I've been seeing so much of myself in that arc, and I wonder. And it sounds like maybe you all feel a, a little like that. But is there something that um, conjured up in your memories when you saw that old Juan? scene that final scene where he's dying on the on the battleground and and feeling like he failed and i'm just trying to put myself in Cora's shoes witnessing what that means not just to like as an emotional beat because it's obviously very touching um but what it means to Cora. What, what what do you walk away from with that image in your mind you mean that uh, I mean, this is like uh, this is a struggle. It's not mm-hmm. a war she's going to win. It's a battle she has to continually fight. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe it is that feeling. I, I, I just think that's such a compelling. I, it's, it's beyond just that moment living in the in the uh, arc of Juan, but how Cora's perceiving it. Well, right. I mean, and, okay, go ahead, Devinder. I, I think it's more like you know when somebody, if you start to research your past, right, and you look at the history of your family. I I can't really do that. I have no way to do that just because of the way the uh, migration worked from India to South America. It's all it's all kind of confusing. No real records. Um, but for somebody who can really trace their history back hundreds, maybe you know, of years, maybe even longer, and if you learn that you know one of your descendants or one of your um, yeah ancestors did something amazing, was a really important person, I think that kind of changes how you view yourself and how you view hmm. your life, your connection to this person so many years ago. Like it, it feels almost cosmic with core. It's even a little stronger too, because it's all about reincarnation and it's all about them essentially being the same soul, I guess. So I hope that that connection means something deep to her. Yeah. I think it, the way it's going to change things going forward is it's now no longer a small problem with her father and her uncle for the first time in the season, Cora is mm-hmm. the only person who really knows of what's really going on. Like, we don't really know if Unalak knows about harmonic convergence. He might just think, you know, he's getting some <laughs> awesome Tark. You have to you have to learn to stop laughing I when can't. you say harmonic, harmonic convergence. convergence. <laughs> it's the name of episode 12 of this season. Oh, no. It's like a spirit a jamboree. I yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully- Come down to the YMCA's harmonic convergence. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully that Cora is going to be able to look past some of the uh, more earthly issues uh, going forward. That's that's and what I hope. Knows, yeah, and from like a practical point of view, she knows for certain that she needs to close the portal. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, you know, it was like Unalak said it should be open. He was feeding her all these lies. She probably had some gut reaction misgivings, but now she knows for a fact that right. she needs to close She finally has someone to trust. Yeah. Which has been yeah. her struggle this whole time, and and trust comes from knowing yourself and knowing your history and learning from the past. Um, it's a very pro genealogy 
episode, which I'm, I'm all about, uh, Ancestry.com. Um, yeah, exactly. Sponsored by Ancestry.com. Yeah. Uh, why, why don't we wrap up just, uh, if, there, if there's little moment, were there any little moments that stuck out to you? Joanna's a big fan of Jason Marsden, who voices I.I. Oh, yeah. uh, because she grew up having a serious crush on him. Um, and we all grew up listening to him, like, yeah. Where, where, how did you cr- begin crushing on Jason Marsden, Joanna? <laughs> Me, I think it, I think I have to trace it back to Full House. I do. He was he was on so. every TJF show. He was yeah. He, he was, was on like Boy a studio World player. Too. Yeah, he was like, a, he yeah, was yeah. Will Friedel's friend. Um, and now both of them are titans of the voiceover industry for some reason. And that's not that's not a bad way to go. No. So, Joanna, are there is there any? Do you have a favorite moment from this uh, double feature? I I actually I have to go weirdly with the Aladdin opening. Because I just really loved, I loved seeing him run scamper through the streets, and and you know this was a character we were hugely anticipating meeting, and I really liked that as his introduction. So it was very like a, a relatable. Just you were already there; you knew the, who this character was and what he was about. So, Dave, um, uh, oh, this is a tough one. There's obviously the battle at the end was awesome, but the uh, I I jumping into a dude's body and morphing him was just on the level of freaky with that character's design that I kind of enjoyed the, the crap out of it. Yeah, that scared me. <laughs> also, that person is scarred for life now. Yeah. I thought you would be especially excited excited about seeing Vatu being put in a tree and for mm. some reason that would spark the Jinora scene and you would have like a 20 minute <laughs> rant about whatever that means. Well, I was wondering about Jinora and like what this means. And yeah, it's all worth it. Well, she I mean, ends up in the spirit world at some point, so we just have yeah. that image forever. It's going to be it that's, that's I hope it I'm never saying. happens. Cora Cora going on in the future, she's going to be the one that reunites all of our plot lines now. I didn't <laughs> think so before, but now I just talked myself into thinking it. <laughs> Devendra, do you have a favorite moment? I think um I yeah, I just I love these two episodes completely, but I think it was when um, Juan teamed up with Mula, his uh, cat deer friend, and they just start traveling the world. And the score opens up, and the scope opens up. I thought that was fantastic. That was sort of it. Reminded me of uh, that great scene, um, the great opening scenes of Princess Mononoke, where you know after the uh, the pig demon attacks uh, the village, um, Ashitaka just like takes takes his elk and starts wandering to try to fix himself learning the world um, i love it when these things open up like that it was beautiful and um i am a pretty big fan of bushy the bush spirit because i thought that was very <laughs> Sokka, uh Sokka like which I, I was it took me back to avatar the last airbender um and and I, I again I think uh, Joanna you mentioned this it's just it felt like such a, a wealth of reference points to me like heart was just strewn across this episode and maybe I'm looking too far into the spirit forest feeling like the princess bride's thieves forest um but just like all of that kind of tickled me I I don't know if any of it is real but I'm definitely projecting a love for fantasy um Mm -hmm. in all forms onto this episode which was just no there was totally there was totally a princess bride reference when he said something about like we know the forest we know it's it's, it reminded me of Wesley being like we can live in the we can live in the fire swamp we know it's tricks we know it's secrets (laughs) got it (laughs) Um, And there was also another spirit that looked like No Face from uh, Spirit Away, Mm -hmm. but like a smiley Adventure Time version of that. Yes, a child voice. Yeah. Yeah. All the spirits. I I need to go back and just like frame by frame look at everyone. Old carrot spirit. So many times. I like, yeah. And I'm definitely. man. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Um, I almost feel like I wish there was an extended version of this that was just like 90 minutes long. Palling around. Palling around in the spirit forest. And um, by the way, like a prediction, I guess, at this point, like d- now that we're seeing how the Avatar powers came to be and how it all worked, I wonder if at some point, like the Korra series will end up with her being able to imbue more people with similar capabilities. Like it'll be like the Buffy thing, guys. That's my uh, prediction. Whoa, whoa, we'll whoa. Like, Avatar first. Yeah, like yeah. a lot. Like she has the power more of a lion avatars, turtle. Guys. Yeah. That would be weird. Pot- oh, potentials? Potential. Oh, I hate uh, the potential plot line. <laughs> but it's going to happen. I it's hope bad. that she becomes a lion turtle and everyone lives on Korra's back. And Bolin <laughs> dies. Bolin's going to die, right? Bolin's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bolin. Bolin's not going to die. Devendra's wrong. 
He's always wrong. Um, so, like, if this were a Joss Whedon show, Bolin would die. But yeah, it's that's not. what I'm saying. That's the logic oh, okay. I'm working on here. Oh, I okay. called him for death in season one because, like, oh man, we love him. We love him. He makes us so happy. He's gonna He's the go. wash of the series. Yeah. Yeah. And I must say that I was a little, I, I was sad when I saw the air bison on the farm because Joanna, the other day you mentioned. Uh, you you tweeted a picture of all of us being the different yes. baby sky bison, and for a long time I've been wanting. There's so many people who are great at illustrating and art who watch Cora. It just inspires people to create art, and I, I really want someone to create a sky bison portrait, like the four of us drinking tea or recording a podcast with blueberry spice head and the rest of the gang i just want that picture so if someone i'm putting the challenge out there if someone wants to create that for me i would be really pleased uh yeah guys try, yes. to, try to talk what i did in like <laughs> with text um well i think that about wraps things up for our discussion on beginnings part one and two um why don't we tell people where they can find us on the internet and actually before we do that just another reminder Hit up iTunes, give us a re- review, give us a rating, uh, help us help us spread the word on Republic City Dispatch um, because you have like what two weeks yep. to do it, so you got to kill some time. Um, Joanna, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, every day on Pajiba.com. you can follow me. Uh, find me over on Vulture.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Quit Your J Rob. Devendra, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about tech every day at beat.com and I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com. Dave. Hey, I'm sorry. I had to silence my phone because I'm super popular. Uh, but you could follow me on Twitter at <laughs> DA7E or read about superhero movie news at latino-review.com. And I am Matt Patches. I write all over the internet and I try and put everything on my Tumblr at mattpatches.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Patches. And I am on Vulture.com writing recaps of Korra, and I would urge you to read them. I'm begging you, actually. Please go and comment on them and tell them that this show is amazing, because they need to be reminded. Um, And until next time, farewell. Farewell.